Hello, welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I'm going to be giving you personalized user research advice based on your questions or struggles. So let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody, super excited to be here today. We had another fantastic question come in. This one was about tips, techniques, and frameworks when it comes to prioritizing your user research projects. So let's listen. Hi, Nikki. I wonder whether you can recommend any tips or techniques or frameworks to help prioritize between different research projects if you are the only and one researcher in the company. Or equally, if you got any tips on how to help stakeholders prioritize. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking this question. It is really important, even if you're not a user research team of one, it is really important to understand how we prioritize our user research projects. And I will say that is especially important, important are the only company. I have been a user research team of one for most of my career. And I realized that this particular concept of prioritizing projects was very, very important after I had made several mistakes. Um, So I used to tell my stakeholders how important user research was. I used to actually beg them to do user research. So it was really hard for me when I started getting projects coming in to say no to certain projects. I mean, I had spent hours and hours, days, weeks, trying to convince these same stakeholders that user research was it, it was the most important thing that they could be doing. And if you're, if you're wondering a little bit more about how to convince stakeholders, uh, check out episode one, because I, I talk a lot about uh, talking to stakeholders and getting them in, more involved in, in research. But after all of this time that I spent, I didn't want to say no to projects. I had I had so many projects coming in, but I was extremely overwhelmed. And I knew there was there was one particular time where I realized, okay, it's time for me to to learn how to prioritize projects and to learn how to say no. And I had several usability tests going at the same time. I was also doing some generative research. I was also doing some content testing. And I went into a particular usability test and we were doing um, prototype testing for all, all three of the usability tests that I was kind of running concurrently, which I don't really recommend doing. So for that particular test, I walked in, I was at a B2B company and I knew the client luckily <laughs> because my mistake was pretty bad. And I started going through my whole introduction I shared the prototype. Uh, I was having the person click through and, and answer some questions. Everybody was confused. And that's because I had opened the wrong prototype. I had forgotten that it was prototype one that I was supposed to be testing and not prototype two and prototype three. And everybody was confused. My poor colleagues were messaging me saying, what are you doing? <laughs> this is the wrong one. Luckily, uh, the client was super, super nice. And we were able to take a few steps back and I was able to share that original prototype. But it was in that moment that I was very understanding of the fact that I could not just juggle every single research project. I could not just say yes, 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 as much as I wanted to, as excited as I was to be able to have all these projects. I could not just say yes to them. I had to figure out a way to prioritize which ones were the most important and to figure out what to do with the other ones. So that being said, 
I went through quite a few different processes, quite a few different iterations of how exactly to do this, because the last thing that you want to do after you've managed to get people on your side for user research is to continuously say, no, 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 no. There are two reasons. One, you don't want them to lose the motivation to do research. The second one is you don't really want them to go do user research without you unless they are very, very skilled at that because the I have a lot of feelings about democratization. That wasn't the question. We're not going to get into that. If somebody wants to send me a question about democratization, I'd be happy to talk about it in a separate episode. But not all colleagues are able to effectively do user research. Anyways, so those are the two main reasons you don't want to just end up saying no to every single project. So what is my process? The first thing that I did is I implemented an intake document. I will link to that template within and the in the article within the show notes. But what that did is it did two things for me. The first thing is it helped me understand how serious this person was about the research project. So I sent this intake document to them and it took time. It took 10, 15 minutes for them to fill it out and they had to answer questions. They had to answer things like, why are you doing this research project? What led you here? What what user needs are you trying to understand? Or what problems are you trying to understand? What previous research has been done in the past on this? And really getting into why they were requesting that research and what the actual gap was in their knowledge. Because the last thing that we want to do is redo research, especially when we're running on limited resources. So that's the first thing that the intake document helped me with. The second thing that the intake document helped me with was that I got answers to a lot of the questions that I ended up going to stakeholders for, reducing the amount of meetings in my calendar. So what used to happen before is somebody would email me, somebody would stop by my desk, somebody would send me a Slack message about a research project that they wanted to do. Generally speaking, those messages were not in depth. They didn't hold the level of detail that I actually needed to get started with our user research plan, even to kick off the the project. So I would end up having to go and ask my stakeholders all of these questions. And I thought to myself, why don't I just make this something that happens upfront? They have to answer these questions when they request research so that I can start to build a plan without having to ask them to go back and forth on messages, to put extra meetings in our calendar. So those, that research intake document really helped me in those two ways in particular. So how does this relate back to the prioritization? Really great question. And I promise I'm going to get there. Once I had that intake document, I was then better to, better able to assess what my stakeholders needed, why they needed it, what that exact gap was in knowledge, if there was one, and what kind of priority this might take in terms of like company priorities, what kind of impact this research might have. So with that intake document, I then could start answering the questions that I developed to ask myself to understand if this research project is a priority. So What are those questions that I ask myself? I actually have about like nine major questions that I ask myself when I'm reviewing an intake document. And just so you know, every intake document is not the same. Every intake document is not perfect. 
just because I sent the intake document to my stakeholders does not mean that they answered every question in a way that I can take this, take this piece of, uh, it's not really a piece of paper because it's digital, take this Google Doc, let's say, and answer all these questions. There are some times where you need to clarify, go back and forth. However, this was a, a really great way to start to streamline and make this process more efficient. So I got that intake document and my next thing to do was to ask myself these questions. So what are the questions? The first question I asked myself is when it comes to this research request, is it a team or company priority, right? So is this project a priority for the team and or the organization? How does that, how do we answer that question? First, you can ask your stakeholder. Second, you can look at the team's strategy, their backlog, their roadmap, and understand where that research project is within their roadmap. So how important is it to them? How important is that general project to them within their own roadmap? Another uh, way that you can look at this is looking into metrics. So what metrics are, are that team focused on or are the general organization focused on? And will this project help to move those metrics? So that is the first question that I ask myself because that leads directly into the second question, which is what impact will the research have? So we want to also think about the impact that research can have on an organization and on a team level. So if you are doing research projects for projects that are not high priority, so that aren't directly linked to a team's metrics or OKRs or goals, whatever you want to call them, or an organization's metrics, OKRs, goals, then when it comes to the end of your projects and when it comes to like evaluating yourself and assessing the work you've done, it is very hard for you to understand how you have impacted the greater organization as a whole. So that's why I like to think, what impact then will research have if we do this project? Will it have an impact on that particular team? Yes or no, based on those metrics or goals. Will it then have an impact, let's say on multiple teams? So is it cross, cross-functional, cross-departmental? So will multiple teams be able to use these insights? And then even better, will it have an impact on like the organization's goals and metrics? So that's the next question that I ask. The third question, does the research question make sense to you? <laughs> does the project even make sense? What is the team trying to understand? Is it a very broad question that can't be easily answered? Are they trying to understand something so insanely specific that you're sitting there thinking, mm, maybe quantitative? research would be better for this. Maybe looking at product metrics would be better. Are they trying to understand preference, right? Because we can't really understand preference when it comes to user research. So does the actual question make sense to you? Can, I'm, I'm going to say qualitative research because I know that that is a lot of what people are thinking about when they come to this podcast. Can qualitative research answer this question? So fourth question that we ask ourselves, has there been previous research done on this topic? I ask this within the intake document. One, because I want to make sure that my team has done the due diligence before they request research. And two, can we use that research to answer this question? Or is there an actual gap that we're seeing based on the previous research? So 
What I like to do is ask them to make sure that no previous research has been done that can at least get us to a next step of a decision, a first step of a decision, any sort of decision. If we can make any, any, any decision based on previous research, we should do that first, right? So really identifying the gaps is the most important part. Has previous research been done? If yes, are there gaps in it? Are there places that we needed to dig deeper that we didn't really explore in that previous research? Or can we make a decision, at least maybe half a decision, one step forward before we go on and do further research? Another question that I ask myself, is the project set up for success? So just because you do research doesn't necessarily mean the team will act on it. A lot of teams might use research as like a crutch or as something on a to-do list that they know they should be doing. So make sure that the team actually has capacity to act on your insights. I give this actually a three-month limit. So I ask the team, when I deliver these insights by approximately X date, will you be able to make the changes, implement the features, create something new, fix it, whatever the outcome might be within the next three months, right? Even better if you can get them down to one month <laughs> because that's ideal. But, you know, things come up, things happen. So I always ask, my upper limit is three months. Will you be able to act on this research within three months? If they say no, I say, let's come back later. Because what if something changes? Uh, we all know that a lot of things can change in the product and tech field and within organizations really, really quickly. So what you don't want to do is do research on some sort of feature or flow that ends up then changing in three months. And then you get asked to do research again because they ended up not using your research because they pivoted. There are all of these different reasons, right? So make sure that the that the team is able to act on these insights. And then I go one step further and I say, can you participate in the research sessions? Because I, I always get concerned that if teams aren't committed to sitting in, in, the, in the sessions, to listening to the sessions, to helping with the synthesis process, I always wonder, okay, like how important is this to them? So I, I like to ask my teams if they can actually participate in the research sessions. The next question that I ask is, what is the level of support needed for the team? So I have three offers when it comes to teams, high, medium, and low support, right? Low support means that I am just looking over their script. They are empowered to do research themselves. I'm helping them with recruitment. I am giving them templates for synthesis, and they're doing a lot of this on their own. Now, I know that I said I had a lot of feelings about democratization, but if you have empowered teams that can do research really well, especially, let's say, on basic usability tests that you shouldn't be spending your time on, you can offer that low support. Medium support is more of a high touch where you are maybe doing some of the sessions, maybe helping with the synthesis, helping writing the discussion guide. So you are almost, let's say, 50% on the project. But... 50% is them doing it. Again, empowered teams that you know can do research. And then there's high support where you are basically doing the project as a user researcher. So I think about the level of support that that team needs for a question. For instance, for me, generative research, always high support because I, as a researcher, believe that we should be doing that generative-based research. Again, unless we have a very, very very particular circumstance in which the stakeholder can do very effective and proper generative research. 
when it comes to basic usability testing, when it comes to surveys, when it comes to unmoderated testing, even maybe that's a low touch project, depending on your stakeholders experiences, right? Next question that I go to, are you validating design decisions? So one of my biggest pet peeves is receiving a request that asked me to validate a design decision. So tell us how much people love this feature. I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, but our job is not to validate for ideas. So if this kind of project comes to my desk, I automatically reject it. And I tell them to think about the questions that they actually have. You know, what are they, what are they curious to learn more about? What are they unsure about? Um, A common kind of framework that I use for this is what, what information do you need from me in order to make the decision that you want to make to impact whatever metrics or goals? So that's the framework that I ask for people to fill out. So what decisions do you need to make so that that informs me about whether or not they've really thought about this research project. It also helps me understand which projects will make more sense for qualitative research and also are more impactful. Because if somebody's coming to me saying, oh, I just want to know how many people would use this feature, future-based, we don't ask future-based questions, or how many people love this particular feature, we don't ask about kind of preference. We don't ask about validation. We're not trying to validate things. So really looking at the structure of that question, I know this comes back to to that question of does this make sense for qualitative research however this is almost next level if this slips through this is your time to say are we just sitting here and validating design decisions so finally the last one that i will ask myself do i have capacity right the way that i decide whether or not i have capacity is by putting together a research roadmap and backlog So within this research roadmap, I put the different projects, the different impacts that they might have, the support level that I'm going to have to give people, the ideal dates behind these projects, again, how how involved I am. And this helps me determine my capacity levels and understand where I can and cannot slot in different projects. So if there is a huge project that's coming up that is very, very high priority for the organization, that then helps me say, okay, I had these two usability tests slotted in. They are lower priority. I need to either push them or make them unmoderated, make them a survey, do something different with them, right? And then put in this this higher priority project. So that's when you can start to play around with prioritization and your capacity and understanding how these different projects line up and also having a backlog as well for those that are either lower priority or the team isn't ready yet, or you know that you don't need to work on them quite yet, but you always have this backlog where you can start to pull these these different projects from when you, when you are starting to build out that roadmap, let's say for next quarter. I will put in the show notes, uh, roadmap and backlog templates as well, because I think that that would be really helpful for people. So I know that I just mentioned these different questions and steps that I go through. I 
have an actual project prioritization template that I will be putting in the show notes as well, which will hopefully help you with understanding that with understanding which projects are priority. It's a matrix that you can fill out. It gives you a score. You can personalize it for your organization. This is the one that I have used in the past, but I'm going to put that template in there because it might help you when you're kind of asking yourself these questions for the first time and you put out a score. The most important part when it comes to prioritization is being very clear and transparent about why people's projects are not prioritized. An objective score like the one that is in this template is so super helpful because it just gives people an objective reason why their project is not as prioritized as another project, right? And also what I would try and say is learn how to say, first learn how to say no, that's very important, and then learn how to say yes and. And what does that mean? So we can't do this usability test. Can we do a survey? Can we do it unmoderated? What are some other ways that we can go about getting maybe the most basic information to at least take that next half step, right? So always thinking about alternatives before you flat out say no and being very clear about why that project is less prioritized than another. And again, definitely use that spreadsheet. It was very helpful for me for communicating to stakeholders why their projects were in certain priority levels. And then finally, the last question that you asked was about helping uh, stakeholders prioritize. I'm just going to say very quickly, there are a few different models. I usually use the model uh, in terms of the ones that my stakeholders use. So the RICE model is the kind of framework that many product managers are already familiar with. It uses, it's called RICE because it uses four factors to assess priority, reach, how many customers will this impact, the impact, what will the result be on the customers, confidence, how confident are you that this project will impact the customers or metrics, and finally effort, how much effort will the project take from the entire team. That's something that I have used in the past if you want to simplify this whole process and think about uh, the project from the rice model perspective. I will link to an article that explains the rice model much better than I can because I'm not a product manager, so I use it less because I use this prioritization template. However, it is something that people are already familiar with and might be a good starting point before you run into this whole prioritization template separate from the rice model. The next one, stripping it down even more, impact and eff- effort matrix. So it's like a lightweight version of the RICE model, which focuses on the impact that the project will have on customers and the amount of effort the project will take. And then finally, dot voting and money spending. So if you have a few different research projects you are deciding between, you can ask the teams to come together and vote. This is more advanced because it takes a lot of facilitation skills uh, to make sure that people aren't angry. So what you can do is put all the projects up and you use dot voting so everybody gets two to three votes that they can spend on projects that they should be that they believe should be prioritized and you can do that within the short term midterm long term so uh, what projects should be done in the next month what projects should be done in the next three to six months which projects should be done in the next year and people can vote respectively on which projects they believe that they should be prioritizing for the next month, three months, six months, year. 
If that doesn't work, you can also give teams $100 or whatever currency you are working in and ask them how much money they would spend on each project and getting each project done. That's a different way of doing essentially the same thing, dot voting, but it takes away the dots and puts money so people can put $75 on this particular project because they find it really important. I will say as a caveat, dot voting is subjective. So when you're using this kind of methodology, you are bringing subjectivity back into this process. What I recommend doing if you're doing dot voting is also using a different prioritization process, either the spreadsheet that I'm going to share with you and the process that I just walked you through or a process like the rice model, because you you definitely need objectivity when it comes to prioritization because everybody wants to prioritize their projects. So it's really important to, to make sure people are thinking beyond the things that they want to achieve and what is best for the organization as a whole. It's also very helpful to have the organizational goals in mind or on a mural board or post-its wherever you are when you're doing this kind of prioritization. So always coming back to what is the biggest impact that you can have and which projects align with those, with those bigger impacts, either cross-departmentally or organizationally. So I hope that that was helpful. As I said, I will put all of the resources into the show notes so that you can check out the different templates, the different articles that, I, that I'm referencing when I'm talking about this concept, and maybe that will help go even deeper into this process. But I hope as an overall um, kind of thought process that this was that this was helpful for you and i can't stress enough it is very important to think about prioritization especially as a user research team of one so kudos to you on thinking about it and let me know how it goes i'm really excited to hear because this is an important topic and it's something that we should be doing on a regular basis also really great for career development so again, hope it was helpful and I'm excited to talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe and submit your next question. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Bye.